Hello, I'm Marcus Louth and welcome to the latest edition of the UFO Insight Podcast, where we examine all things UFOs and aliens, conspiracies and mysteries, and all aspects of the paranormal. Okay, today we will look at the immensely intriguing theory and suggestion of a connection between repeat alien abduction encounters and reincarnation. Indeed, such a suggestion sounds bizarre at first. However, when we examine it further, it quickly becomes both captivating and thought-provoking. As we will explore, the general premise of such suggestions is that alien abductions, at least some of them, are part of the process of reincarnation. And as we might expect, this idea has many branch-off theories, each of which are nuanced in their own right. Some suggest that all life energies, ours and the apparently many extraterrestrials throughout the universe, return to the same place upon death, before eventually reincarnating once more. And while many people who claim to be able to recall past lives often do so very much in an earthly domain, some people have recalled past lives not only on another planet, but as another life form altogether. Others, however, suggest there is a darker side of these encounters of reincarnation, putting forward that there is a battle of sorts to occupy human bodies between human souls and extraterrestrial ones. Indeed, just the suggestion is a sobering thought. In the book Immortality of the Gods, veteran paranormal researcher Nick Redfern highlights several possible connections between alien abductions and what we would perceive as immortality. For example, he would recall that, according to Whitley Strieber, as relayed by Ed Conroy, these apparent alien visitors were a catalyst to personal evolution. Alchemists of the soul, in a word, they are transformers. If there is any truth to the notion that aliens did alter human DNA in the distant past, whether for their own ends, ours or both, then Strieber's take on them is perhaps spot on. There is, however, another aspect to consider that these visitors are no longer interested in merely changing human DNA, they are actively looking to take possession of it, to create human souls. Redfern highlights the encounters and writings of Whitley Strieber, most notably his best-selling book, Communion. Perhaps not least, as Strieber was one of the first writers on the subject to contemplate the fact that there very well may be a connection between alien abduction encounters and the human soul. He would eventually put these suggestions into the follow-up to Communion, Transformation. As Redfern writes, Strieber stated that it was his belief, based on correspondence from other abductees and examination of their encounters, that these aliens, he called them visitors, had the ability to extract the immortal human soul from the physical body. Not only that, they did so on numerous regular occasions. Redfern also relays some further information on the 1973 Mansfield coin helicopter sighting, a period where much of the United States, incidentally, was not only going through a wave of UFO sightings, but of encounters with strange humanoid beings. On this particular night, as the Army Reserve UH-1 ferried its passengers and crew back to Cleveland, Ohio, they would be confronted by a 60-foot by 20-foot object, which stopped just before it was about to crash into them. From there, it would seemingly scan the helicopter with a strange green light that turned the whole cabin green. By the time the strange light and object had disappeared, their helicopter was around 2,000 feet higher than it should have been, with none of the crew understanding how such an altitude climb had happened, not least that it had seemingly happened in a matter of seconds. Interestingly, 
The crew would speak of the incident to the Cleveland media, and eventually the national media, giving the US military no chance to cover the incident up. According to Redfern's research on the case, though, the helicopter crew, including Sergeant John Healy, were quietly contacted by official sources following the incident, and as much as they wanted to know details of the sighting itself, they also asked some rather strange questions of the witnesses, and these questions would continue for months after. Healy would claim, years after the incident, that someone from the Pentagon would ring out of the blue and ask them seemingly random questions, such as if they had dreamed of body separation since the sighting. Perhaps remarkably, Healy would state that he had. Why would the military be concerned with such information? Might it be that, to some people, there is a connection between leaving one's body and the soul? Essentially, that a person's astral form is what most of us would understand as a soul. If these extraterrestrials are concerned with the human soul, it is very intriguing that the Pentagon should be asking such questions in light of a UFO incident. What exactly, if anything, might they know? What is also interesting is that many who can leave their body or astral project often speak of strange beings and entities around them in the astral realm, with some of these beings looking to take possession of the person's body while their astral form or their soul has left it. Might these entities be what we would understand as aliens? It is certainly an intriguing notion that the human soul is of interest to these extraterrestrial visitors, perhaps not least because it would suggest that each person does indeed have a soul and doesn't simply cease to exist once they die. However, the idea that our souls are perhaps being targeted by life from another realm or world is a disturbing one, no less so when we turn our attention to the revelations of Bob Lazar. It is certainly worth our time looking at some of the revelations of Bob Lazar. We have examined before his statements regarding the propulsion systems of UFOs, but as Redfern highlights, he also made some rather remarkable claims of top-secret documents he had the chance to read while working in the top-secret facilities. One of these was concerned with the origins and early history of humanity. According to Redfern's relaying of the information, Early humans were subject to close to 70 genetic manipulations by extraterrestrial visitors, essentially the gods of ancient times. If this information is accurate, then it is beyond remarkable and would completely alter the way we look at ourselves both as individuals and as a collective, as well as how we must then view our entire history and our futures. Indeed, as Redfern states, this would appear to be the very reason this information is buried so deep within many secret files, because no one knew how to break the disturbing news to the public without the revelation causing worldwide panic, shock and disorder. Whether such a reaction on the public's part would be accurate is perhaps open for debate. Maybe, with this in mind, we should also consider the idea that information of our apparent alternative collective past is being drip-fed to us through such mediums as films and television shows. It is a notion dismissed by many, but there is a presence in Hollywood, for example, by the intelligence agencies. And if there is a fear of panic should such a revelation come out, then it might be in their interest to have most of the population at least familiar with such a possibility. Lazar also revealed that there was a large document regarding the world's religions, something which Lazar himself found puzzling. Once more, this would suggest, as many who subscribe to the ancient astronaut theories claim have long stated, that there is a connection between the origins of many of the world's religions and alien visitation and influence in ancient times, an influence that quite possibly is still going on today, and the potential reasons for that are both fascinating and extremely concerning.
During his interviews with George Knapp, Lazar would eventually reveal what else he had read in these top-secret buried-away government files, with a little bit of gentle pushing from the journalist, and it is something both intriguing and mind-blowing in equal measure. He would state that one document regarding the existence of human beings and our relationship to these apparent alien visitors stated that we are containers, affirming that is how we are viewed by these extraterrestrials, before proposing we are maybe containers of souls. He would further state that this was exactly how humans were referred to in the document he had seen. Then, in terms of religion, he would state that such things were created so we have some rules and regulations for the sole purpose of not damaging the containers. Redfern would highlight how Lazar had made very similar comments to another UFO researcher, Michael Lindemann, during another interview. And it was during this interview where Lazar proposed an extremely intriguing thought. That while it very well may be that the containers being referred to is the human body, that it might be the complete opposite, that the container is the soul and it contains the body. He would add that the document mentioned how unique these containers are. During an interview with Ralph Steiner, he would again make similar comments, before adding that while what he was saying about containers was indeed far out, it would be worth remembering that everything I read and revealed about the propulsion systems turned out to be fact. Make of that what you will. It is perhaps interesting to contemplate Lazar's revelations of a large top-secret file regarding alien visitation and the many religions of the world, and in particular, the idea that religions were created in order to essentially keep the population in line, something they achieved for centuries and still continue to, on a much less degree today. Might it be that in our contemporary era, where far fewer of the human race would class themselves as religious, that this control is loosening somewhat? With this in mind, might it be that other control methods might be utilised? If we turn our attention back to Transformation by Whitley Strieber, he would make some remarkable claims, perhaps especially so in light of the revelations of Bob Lazar. He would state that these alien visitors recycled souls before sending them back to the realm of our existence to begin life again, essentially reincarnation. Nick Redfern writes that Strieber was also informed by these strange visitors that the Earth is akin to a school, one in which we are learning and growing and evolving with every subsequent recycling. However, with each recycling, all we have learned, at least consciously, would appear to be lost. As Redfern also writes, if this is true, then we have already achieved immortality. And might it be this that is of interest to those behind alien abductions, and possibly, if we accept there is so discreet from the shadows type presence here on Earth, the continued experiments of the Anunnaki themselves. Might this, then, suggest a connection to reincarnation? Might those who claim to be able to recall past lives be experiencing remnants of the extracted soul before it was, essentially, recycled and sent back to live again once more? Might it be even more complicated than that? Might this obsession with the soul lead to at least some aliens, whether individually or as a race, desiring to steal or overtake a person's soul, something that perhaps explains cases of demonic possession? The late and well-respected UFO researcher John Mack, who studied alien abduction cases in great detail, claimed that many of the abductees he interviewed spoke of these entities looking to separate them from their souls, or even to take over it altogether. This idea of strange entities looking to take possession of a person's soul is a thought-provoking one, and leads us to our next point of consideration in this maze of intrigue.
There are other intriguing cases of alien abduction that hint heavily toward a connection to reincarnation. Just one example would be the alien abduction of an abductee known only as Roger S. that appeared online several years ago. Roger would claim he was only 10 years old at the time of the incident, which occurred in Orlando, Florida. He awoke late one night to find four strange and chilling figures, with heart-shaped heads and two giant black eyes, as well as two holes for a nose and a slit for a mouth standing in his room. Each figure was around five and a half feet tall, and were all making him the focus of their attention. Ultimately, they were taken on board their craft, and he would find himself in a strange room with the equally strange entities. A voice suddenly entered his mind as one of the creatures talked to him telepathically, while at the same time he witnessed one of the creatures reach forward and push a button on a nearby table. Almost instantly, a light under the table lit up the entire floor of the room. It was then that he noticed a large screen hanging in the room. On the underside of this, there are several panels which one of the entities was examining. Suddenly he saw the craft he was inside on the screen. He would also see on the same screen the craft suddenly shoot straight up into the air at great speed. In his head, the strange creature asked what he was, to which he replied he was a human boy. As this telepathic communication took place, he was led into another room on the ship. Then, rather bizarrely, he was shown a picture of one of his friends who he knew as Nancy. When he asked where she was, he was told she was on another craft to him. Most intriguingly though, they went on to say that she will not be reborn because she had been born too many times. Nothing else was mentioned concerning this intriguing detail, should we take it to mean literal rebirth that most of us would see as reincarnation, and if so, what do these strange creatures, essentially extraterrestrials, at least as we will understand them today, have to do with the deciding factors that govern such a decision? Without a doubt though, one of the most intriguing alien abduction reincarnation cases is that of Pauline Delcor Min. Pauline would discover she had suffered episodes of alien abduction going back decades to the early 1960s. We will not detail those here, but we will examine some of the revelations of the hypnotic regression sessions, specifically those that detailed intriguing connections to reincarnation. Indeed, while encounters with alien entities are without a doubt strange and intriguing enough, when Del Carmin decided to have herself regressed to one of her past lives, of which she claimed to have had many, she discovered she had more of a connection to the great alien race than she could have possibly imagined. She had asked a student of hers, Francesca, to conduct the regression session, which took place in Manchester in England. Using the same methods she herself had used countless times in performing regression therapy, Francesca guided Pauline into a deep meditative state, and back through many years to a former existence. As the session continued over several hours, not only did Pauline offer details of her past life as a grey alien, but in turn offered potential reasons for the alien abduction phenomena still happening today in our modern world. She offered that she was inside a craft, and although it was light in the room in which she stood, she could see the overpowering blackness of space outside. There was a constant humming sound from the machines and devices inside the room, and as she looked around, she could see many other grey alien creatures. She continued that they controlled the craft with their mental powers, and that the craft itself, or more specifically the machines, were also aware, and responded to their commands as a person would. She would then make a statement that gives us a very clear insight into the mindset of this grey alien race.
She would state, random negative thoughts can be very destructive, so we do not have individual thinking anymore. It would be too dangerous. Our collective thinking is so powerful, it washes away individual deviations. The important thing now is survival. According to Pauline, too much individual thinking had led to greed, and ultimately this greed had led to the breakdown of their society, as well as disastrous consequences for their entire race. She would elaborate that this grey alien race had terrible troubles with their physical bodies, specifically their digestive systems. Because of this, they couldn't nourish themselves adequately, adding that they existed on a soup-like drink, and their bodies didn't work properly. She would continue that this had also had an effect on their ability to reproduce. They used to reproduce in the same manner as humans or most mammals. However, the damage their bodies had suffered caused terrible abnormalities in their offspring, and this way of reproducing was abandoned. The damage had been caused by exposure to radiation, due to them destroying their home planet. Even those that managed to flee the wrecked world had already been exposed, and now they faced the very real danger of disappearing from the face of the galaxy. They did, though, have very long lives. Of further interest, Pauline stated that there was a hierarchy to this alien society, with those at the top of this structure residing in different parts of the galaxy, including on artificial worlds that they themselves had created. She continued that while their race had bases on various moons, they were, in reality, nothing more than staging posts and refuelling stops, and that they now permanently travelled through space in order to find a new home. They had, she continued, travelled vast distances looking for worlds that could support life in our form, with multiple crafts searching different regions of the universe. Then, further, even more startling revelations came. According to Pauline, their scanners eventually picked out a solar system where the third planet from its star initially appeared suitable for their purposes, Earth, long before man evolved. She would continue that further study of the planet suggested it was not tremendously suitable, and that there was too much light that would cause damage to their race. It was, however, a suitable place for them to regroup and obtain supplies from the terrain. Pauline then recalled memories of them landing on Earth, offering descriptions of how the planet appeared then. She would state that they landed near a green coastal area, with a desert behind them. There were, she continued, lots of different fish in the water, as well as many different insects on the land. The planet was so hot and bright, that for the most part, the Greys sent out robotic devices to scan for valuable minerals. While recalling these apparent memories of a past life, Pauline also told that the depression set in on the whole crew, as the realisation that they were unlikely to find another planet like their own that was now destroyed set in, and while the mission on Earth was productive, it was generally an unhappy time. She continued, for example, how the crew used laser cutters in order to obtain the minerals they required from the ground and rocks that were then mixed with water in order to make the soup they required for sustenance, something that they were very much in need of. In fact, she recalls how it is the first time the crew had felt such energy within them for a long time. The more time they spent on Earth, the more they realised how fertile it is for life, despite the fact that it is not entirely suitable for them. It was, however, when they left Earth, that what is perhaps the most remarkable and thought-provoking revelations came. She recalled how they briefly examined the moon that orbited Earth before heading out to the fourth planet, Mars. Not only was there water on what we know as the red planet during this time, but also a humanoid population was extremely helpful to their visitors. So much so, that a meeting of their leaders was called to determine how they could help this grey alien civilization. 
According to Pauline's past memories, this Martian civilization offered the Greys a permanent home in the vast tunnel systems beneath the surface of the planet. It was, however, an offer they declined as it was not suitable for their purposes. They would leave the Red Planet and head out to the outer reaches of the solar system, and it was during this part of their seemingly never-ending roaming of space that the account takes an even more drastic and intriguing turn. Pauline would continue that the further out into the solar system they went, the more genuine fear set in among the crew. She would state that they became too frightened to think for themselves. She also elaborated that she, in her past life, worked in maintenance and would take her orders directly from taller greys, who in turn took orders from the machine intelligence, the central computer on the craft. This assertion is very interesting in that it matches somewhat with other unlinked research carried out by other investigators. That the grey alien race has a hive mentality, with individual aliens not thinking for themselves. Indeed, it is said by some researchers that this aspect of their personalities presents the most problems for their apparent breeding and hybridisation programme. It was as they were leaving the solar system when things took a curious turn. According to Pauline, they were soon caught in a meteor shower and their craft was destroyed. All of the crew died. She described the aftermath of their deaths in great detail. From their astral bodies, they could see the wreckage of their vessel below them. They appeared a silver-grey colour and looked across between a grey and a tadpole. Then things turned even stranger. Entities that Pauline recalls as angels appeared and urged them to go with them to another dimension. She recalled this other realm as being very bright, but not the kind of light that hurts. She then went on to state what they were melting into the sun and passing through it, through the dimensions that link us to the Creator, the ultimate source of all being. It was here that Pauline's session came to an end. It had, though, awakened many other memories about the Greys, as well as her own abductions, as well as why they were taking place in the first place. Could there be, then, a connection between alien abductions, particularly those of a repeat nature, and reincarnation? And might that reincarnation not necessarily be that of a human entity, but that of an alien being? Or might those manifestations be one and the same thing? Indeed, it certainly adds yet another complex layer to the already nuanced UFO and alien question. Is it really possible that not only do extraterrestrials exist, but that many of us, like Pauline Delcor Min, might have once lived in existence on another world as one of these alien entities? And might there be a connection between these different ancient beings and the creator of all things that Pauline referred to? And might that connection begin to explain other fascinating areas of the paranormal and supernatural? Indeed, if there is any truth to Pauline's claims of having lived a past existence as an alien entity, then it would force everyone, both inside and outside the UFO community, to contemplate the true nature of our reality, and just where we fit into it. For now though, I will simply thank you for joining me, and be sure to leave any thoughts in the comments, and check out the links for further reading on some of the theories we have been discussing here today. Remember to subscribe to our channel and follow us on social media to keep up to date on future podcasts, articles and videos. And if there is anything you want us to examine in future podcast episodes, just get in touch at marcus at ufoinsight.com. Until next time, goodbye and take care.